trigger warning, trigger warning. This is a reminder, you have got a trigger. <laughs> Do you know what your trigger is? It's that soft spot, that bruise that makes you see red when it gets pushed. And I don't know what your trigger is. Only you know that. This podcast strives to have thoughtful adult conversation about human issues. But I'm not a professional, and I would describe lots of the topics here as things that would trigger someone. So if you find yourself being triggered by any of the issues that we talk about here, I'm asking you now to please take that opportunity to simply find something else to listen to. Also, this is not professional advice, ever, <laughs> even when we talk to professionals. This is only casual conversation that is meant to promote for mindfulness and examine our own egos. Thanks. One of the biggest moments that kind of stood out to me, and this kind of combines the rebellion and the wanting to be liked, was we had a basketball hoop at my house that I requested and rarely played on it. And I remember, must have been six or seven or something, and I went to my mom, and all I wanted was her approval. I, all I wanted was everybody's approval, but hers specifically. And I, I said, oh, mom, I'm going to be a famous basketball player when I get older. And she said, well, you know, you have to practice a lot. And my world came crumbling down. How dare she dash my dreams by telling me I needed to practice to be a professional basketball player. Why didn't she just say, of course, honey, anything you want to do. Ooh, I think about that at least once a month of just how angry I was at her. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and if you're a real Friends fan, then you know that I played Dr. Drake Ramore on Days of Our Lives and eventually died in an elevator shaft. Now that's a deep cut. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. Jasper's a mensch, can you tell? I was excited to talk to him because he's one of these people that just seems really gifted at being Jasper. He's a project manager at the agency where we work, and he's the kind of guy that can riff and engage and joke all the way through a meeting and then deliver an organized list of detailed notes about every single thing that happened immediately afterwards astounding. We scheduled our talk a little late tonight because he had made reservations to take himself out to dinner, some very fancy restaurant in his neighborhood in Brooklyn. He's had the reservations for weeks now, five to seven tasting courses, all to himself. I imagine he looked like some kind of food critic sitting there, tasting the courses and chatting with the waitstaff. Like I said, Jasper is very good at being Jasper. He says the best thing he ate was this kind of monkfish popcorn, which I feel like says a lot about him and is not dissimilar from some of the food 
that he was raised on. My parents, we loved really salty, fishy, anchovy kind of things. We had an anchovy club with this random guy who lived on our street. <laughs> the stuff that I did in private with my dad and then what I was like in the real world, it was like two different people. Two different people because what he was growing up with at home was anything but mainstream. That came from two parents who were very artistic. My father is an illustrator. My mom's a graphic designer. My dad has done some really incredible things. You know, I have a piece that he did for Vibe magazine, and he's done stuff for Playboy and GQ and Esquire. I grew up oh. in, uh, in Greenwich Village. Greenwich Village, New York City. A mecca for the arts, particularly in the 60s, 70s, and even early 80s when Jasper and his parents were living there. So your parents are creatives. They're like the cool people from the, the 70s that we we always think about. <laughs> exactly. Right? You know, for all intents and purposes, they are people who I would be friends with now. Very warm, open, always very supportive, no matter what I wanted and what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. But around the time that Jasper was turning five or six, his parents packed up their Greenwich Village artist loft, I'm stereotyping, and moved out to a house in the suburbs of New Jersey so Jasper could start school. And even at this very young age, Jasper felt like an outsider. You're an only child. Correct. So when you're going into school, there's already maybe this feeling of like, maybe I'm not as caught up as everyone else or something. Yep. Socially stunted almost. Socially stunted. Complete delusion. Jasper is a very social person and can talk to just about anyone. I do recognize that I, I do connect easily with people. It's never something that I consciously think that I can do. It's something that I am always, I have the proof. I have the social proof. I have a lot of friends. I get along with people and make friends easily. And yet anytime I'm in a new situation, no matter what, I'm always very self-conscious about, am I going to meet a new friend? Am I going to be perceived as cool? Are the people going to like me? I remember in like kindergarten going to school, there was a lot of like kids who would wear New York Yankees hats and like kids talking about their favorite baseball players. Stuff that Jasper had never been exposed to at home. His parents were artists. At home, they did art and listened to music and collected comics and ate salty, fishy things with their neighbors. I remember like the first day of school, I, I made a friend immediately and just by saying hi. And I was the most excited I've ever been in my life. I remember coming home and telling my parents, I made a friend today. Oh, what's his name? Dwarin. It was not Dwarin. His name was Dwayne. I misheard it. it. This is a thing that to this day happens where somebody will introduce themselves to me and I will immediately forget what they said. Dwarin is not a name. And as it turned out, it didn't matter to Jasper that he could make friends by just being himself and saying hi. Because what he noticed about all of the other boys at school was that they were completely fixated on this thing that he had never really seen before. Sports. I could be friends with girls easier, but boys, there was that nut you had to crack. That nut you had to crack called sports. Especially at that age where it's all like, oh, I want to be a basketball star. I want to be a football star. And so, like we heard in the opening, he tried to bring sports home with him. He went back to his extremely supportive artistic parents, and he requested a basketball hoop in the driveway. And even though he didn't really use it, ever, he sincerely had no actual interest in playing basketball, it made him feel good to have it there. Like he was doing what he was supposed to do. He was doing what all of the other boys were doing. And from there, he tried to speak his dream into existence. 
Remember? I went to my mom and I said, oh, mom, I'm going to be a famous basketball player when I get older. And she said, well, you know, you have to practice a lot. And completely unbeknownst to her, that little comment pushed Jasper's button. Ooh, it, uh, I can even, I can feel the little like ire to this day of her saying that. <laughs> Who could have predicted? She didn't say, no, you can't do that. Or no, you're never going to be a famous basketball player. She just said, you're going to have to practice a lot. But this was not the response that Jasper was used to. He could feel her doubt. He could feel her assuming that she knew who he was before he had even decided who he was. And it pissed him off. Because on any other topic, she would have just gone in with blind enthusiasm. Exactly. You know, she was always, you can love whoever you want. You can live wherever you want. You don't have to go to college, but we'd love for you to, all of this stuff. But sports, better make sure you practice. And I think that's what pushed me even more into sports. It didn't make me practice anymore, but it did make me defiantly tell myself, oh, this is your identity. You're a sports kid. Delusion! Because what Jasper's well-intentioned mother didn't know was that Jasper had a whole lot more wrapped up into this idea than what met the eye. Being a sports kid didn't mean that he had found a new hobby. Truthfully, he didn't even like sports. Being a sports kid meant that he wasn't going to be an outsider, which was his biggest fear. I have told myself for as long as I've been alive almost that I need to like sports in order to be respected, liked, and for people to think that I'm cool. And this has been something that's been going on since, you know, I was five years old to the point where I really believe that if I didn't talk about sports, know about sports, then I would be ostracized from the, the male society. He needed to like sports in order to be accepted into male society, which was something that he desperately wanted. You know, I'd spent a lot of time by myself playing with action figures, just sort of reading, listening to music, playing video games. I would always ask for Hanukkah as a kid for a, a brother or a sister or a sibling. I, I desperately wanted a sibling. I felt on some level that, you know, experiencing things by myself wasn't enough. Those feel like pretty high stakes that his mom had no idea that she was threatening when she told him that he would need to practice in order to be a basketball star. And so that became a part of his motivation. He didn't just need to like sports to make friends. He would like sports in order to prove to his quirky, non-sports-loving parents that he was going to write his own story. And so that was sort of my rebellion was, I'm not going to do art. Even though I really loved art, I loved drawing by not knowing that people would talk to you about stuff that's not sports. This divide became very defined in his mind. The Jasper at home and the Jasper out in the world. So the Jasper out in the world became a sports kid. I wanted to play soccer, even though my parents would say on the soccer field, I would be just like staring down at the dandelions. I joined a baseball team and I was in right field. Surprise, surprise. I played right field in Little League too. And I would sit on the ground and remove my baseball mitt and look for four-leaf clover in the grass. A lot of Jasper's story is really hitting home for me. With one exception, sports were only a potential hobby for me. And not even really potential. I didn't care. I quit trying them pretty early on and I never looked back. But not Jasper. I remember the biggest moment of my life in baseball was when the ball was hit to me 
and I was getting ready to catch it. And then I saw that it was going out. Out of bounds. And so I was like, oh, thank goodness. Okay. And I let it go out. And apparently in baseball, if you catch it when it's going out, you're getting out. So I thought I was this hero of, oh, I was right there when it went out and I didn't <laughs> drop. And everybody got so upset with me. That was that was a bummer. In all honesty, I wouldn't have known that I was supposed to catch the ball either. But then again, I didn't care. This was a devastating moment for Jasper. Of course, he was still young. He never could have predicted how many more moments like this he was going to put himself through. My sort of easiest entryway into sports was collecting because I'm a huge collector of 90% non-sports things. But that was my way in of like basketball cards, baseball cards. I remember trading away cards that I now know are worth a lot of money for basically nothing just to be liked. He just wanted to be liked. But he also wanted to be convincing as a sports fan. In hindsight, if you trade away a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card to somebody for nothing, they probably won't think that you know very much about sports. So I wasn't thinking like that, of course. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is my connection to this person. We both have <laughs> these little pieces of cardboard that... Uh, you know, and I just like to look at the pictures and like my favorite cards are the ones with like fire on them. Or sometimes it would be like the player like had animal parts and a, that was those were the best ones. The baseball cards that had a little bit of art on them. Those were the best ones. But that was that was sort of my main way of, of being in touch with the kids my age and, and interacting with sports. But pretending to like sports was only one version of Jasper that was evolving at school and in public. At home, there was a whole other, more authentic version of Jasper beginning to emerge. My dad was and is uh, a huge collector, um, comic books, action figures. He has an extensive music and movie collection. My mom collects very graphic-oriented things like pencils and nicely designed things. So, you know, I come by it naturally. I used to collect rocks as a kid. I used to collect little Japanese figures, sort of the stuff that you can only really share with 40-something-year-old New York illustrators and graphic designers. His parents. Are you starting to get the picture? Simpsons memorabilia was a huge thing for me. And, you know. Apparently it still is. He pulled out a pen with a Bart Simpson head on it from behind his computer. It's still to this day my favorite show. I think it really formed me and taught me more than any school or person ever has. I remember being a kid and just like I would sing a show tune or I would say some like catchphrase from like the 50s or something or I'd make like a Steve Allen reference and my parents always say where did you hear and I said the Simpsons and then it just started to be you know I would say something weird and random and they would say where were the Simpsons and that would be sort of the running joke he loved the Simpsons he identified with them he repeated their jokes and made them a part of his story and collecting memorabilia was a way for him to hold something and feel like they were a part of him. I remember I would read about these people who had these rooms filled with Simpsons things and just thinking, oh, that's the stuff. That's the good stuff. It sort of snowballed into sort of the, the collecting thing where it's like, oh, I want the weird versions of all these things. Like you go to Mexico and they have these Bart marionettes 
and you say, well, this is a one of a kind thing, you know, you're not going to find this really anywhere else. So it's not for value. It's not for resale. It's just it's to keep. Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, what does it mean to be raised on The Simpsons? Like, Mm. you're if you're raised on The Simpsons, then you're smart and funny and Mm. irreverent. Yeah, right. And if you like getting the very rare marionette version from Mexico, then that means that you're rare, (laughs) unique, and yep. hard to find. Yep. And you have this thing that doesn't exist anywhere else. Maybe we stumbled upon another delusion here by mistake. I still collect to this day, you know, comic books. I have a ton of DVDs. So the sort of idea of holding on to the physical versions of these things gives me, I guess, a sense of accomplishment. Delusion. It's something very comforting to be able to hold your possessions in your hand, which is very, uh, you know, Scrooge McDuck. It makes you feel like you have something. Yeah. It's a little like, ooh, you're cool. You're interesting. I think that was another thing that was just like this real dichotomy of, you know, liking these things that nobody else was really into and really deeply liking them. And then pretending having this whole other life where I liked these things that other people liked, but I had no connection to them. The sports cards. And sort of finding the balance between the two, and especially being an only child and having the ability to have really a complete control over my interests and what is kept private and what is out into the public. Control. Complete delusion. I was never one of the cool kids, but I was never sort of rejected. I was kind of a floater. And actually, some of the bad kids would sort of gravitate towards me because I was very, very good, very well behaved, never did anything wrong, you know, for up in high school also. But these kids who were problem kids in the neighborhood who, you know, were routinely known as like people who vandalized things and broke into stores and stole stuff and windows that they would come over to my house and we would play together in the backyard and they I liked it because it made me feel dangerous and you know and and I had like this sort of cachet without actually having to do anything bad myself but why did the bad kids want to hang out with Jasper especially if he was such a rule follower my guess would be that they liked him because despite feeling this intense pressure to fake liking sports in order to be accepted Jasper is very likable all on his own I think to this day, there's a bit of a collecting thing with with friends and in a in a non, you know, sort of supervillain way of, you know, collecting as many friends as I can, because I love to have best friends and then acquaintances and then work friends and then, you know, friends I meet here and there and like and then I like to bring them all together. And I just like to, you know, it's it just sort of I, I've never put that together before, but I think I like the the collecting of friends is it's sort of like it feels like it gives me value, it gives me purpose. Wow, this is this is a <laughs> this is an epiphany. Well it's sort of the same thing as collecting rocks or cards or anything right exactly i need the constant validation constant sort of recognition of am i doing okay am i being interesting i think a lot of it stems from low self-confidence which i really have not pinpointed especially at that age because again except for that one time when my mom 
told me I couldn't be a professional basketball player. That's not exactly what she said, but that's how he took it. I grew up in an extremely supportive household, but I put my value in other people definitely at that age. And the people that I would gravitate towards were the really confident people, were the really outgoing people, the people who I looked at and I said, that's a cool person. We're going to have to unpack that delusion one of these days. The delusion of being cool. When I got to middle school, I got really into music and movies. My dad had a studio in the backyard. You would go out the back door of our house, and there was the driveway that led from the street all the way along the house. And it almost looked like a little bungalow, like a little cottage with glass doors. And you'd open them up. I could still remember the, the squeak that it made. And then it was just kids' heaven. You walk right in, and it's a glass case with old toys and then some new ones in the package and all these little like trinkets that my dad got from like various illustrator conferences and stuff like that. And then on the left wall was this sink that was installed for him to like wash off, you know, the paints and stuff like that. And on the right, there were desks where he would draw uh, and I would sit in the corner. And then in the back wall was all books and CDs. So I would just go in the middle of those two rows, books on one side, CDs on the other. And I would just like pull things out, look at that. And most of them were comic books and just spend hours there and just absorb all of these weird, there was nothing mainstream about anything my dad had. Whereas I really tried to shy away from being different and quirky he really absorbed it. He would tell me about when he was in high school, he would walk around with these like whistles, tons of whistles on his backpack. And he was the whistle kid. And to me, I remember hearing that story as a kid and just thinking, how could he do that? He's not going to have any friends if he does that. He just like, he goes to the beat of his own drummer and to this day. And it's something that I, I now really admire about him and think is so important and realize that he did try to impart that to me by exposing me to all this stuff that was not anything that any of the kids were doing. But at the time, that was the exact opposite of what Jasper was looking for. He wanted to be mainstream. He wanted to be accepted and have friends. He wanted to be one of the sports kids which is, of course, what non-sports kids call athletes. I was this really, 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 really skinny kid. I had no hand-eye coordination. This is like private school, New Jersey, like really gross preppiness. Um, there was a kid, he was British, and we used to sit in the back of science class and talk about the band Blur because we both loved Blur. And we sort of jokingly said, let's join the lacrosse team together. So both of us had never played lacrosse before in our lives. And we were both going to try out for the lacrosse team and he bailed. I remember practicing right beforehand of cradling and just like getting the movement down. Talk to me like I don't know anything about lacrosse because I literally don't know anything about lacrosse. <laughs> so lacrosse is basically frisbee golf almost. Everybody has sticks and they have a pocket on the end of it. And it's very aggressive. There's a lot of hitting. It's football-esque. They call it checking where you can just really plow your whole body into people. And you can also just kind of shove your stick into people's stomachs too. It's a horrific game. All of Jasper's best friends had joined the lacrosse team in junior high. 
But with high school starting next year, he was going to be left out of all of this bonding time for the next four or five years. So it didn't matter how small and skinny he was. He had to play lacrosse. I remember being so nervous because you have to do what's called cradling, which is basically you hold the stick in two hands and you make a motion like you're playing a a guitar solo, but backwards where you just kind of rock back and forth. So one of the things that we had to do in tryouts was cradle the ball, not have it drop out. And you had to run in a figure eight around these cones. Oh, I can still feel how hot my face got when I was doing it. I dropped it three times at least. Then you had to do that. And then you had to, you know, try to score a goal, which took a lot of upper arm strength, which I had zero of. And I just remembered making this really big motion and just giving it all I had. And it was just, ooh, the gentlest little arc that went really high up and just blah, 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 and didn't even like hit the bottom of the goal. And I'm doing quotes, made it onto the team, the middle school team, because everybody made it on the lacrosse team and proceeded to spend the next five years of my life miserable every fall playing lacrosse. I still have nightmares about that time. Five years he played lacrosse and hated it. (laughs) That's crazy. I will admit, when Jasper first told me his necessary delusion, I don't think I fully took it in. Like I said, I never liked sports either, and sure, I've tried playing a handful of them over the years, and I even faked my way through a conversation or two, but I think that made me sort of remove myself from it. I didn't really digest the idea when he said that he needed to like sports in order to be liked and respected and able to make friends. But it is becoming very clear. This delusion is as real as any of them. And it has truly guided his path through life. What is your role on the lacrosse team socially? Like, you must have been getting something from this experience. You know, I got to spend time with my friends in the same place, even if I wasn't interacting with them. Because here's another thing in high school is I developed this really strong fear of missing out. The key word being fear. And I didn't want to be apart from my friends long enough for them to create inside jokes, to become better friends with each other than they would with me, to have these memories, to have these experiences without me. Even if it meant I was miserable on the sidelines, just clapping or doing whatever, but it meant that I got to go to lacrosse camp in the summer with them. It meant that we got to go to the gym together after school. It was just more time that we got to hang out with each other. And that was worth it. Uh, Delusion. (laughs) Um, The fear of missing out. Does that come from being an only child? Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I always felt like my parents were talking about grown up stuff that I couldn't be involved with. And I just I never felt like I had another person who was like, always there, guaranteed, always on my side. I wanted to experience things with other people when I had the opportunity to do things with friends. And then, you know, something happened that I wasn't a part of. I would get this like pain in the pit of my stomach. Like I missed out on this huge thing that, you know, I I will never experience and it will always be lacking in my life. And so he played lacrosse, a sport that he hated, for five years. Every fall for three months, daily practices, plus workouts, plus the actual games, and lacrosse camp every summer. 
how are your parents about you playing lacrosse? Well, I'll tell you, they didn't go to many games. I can't really parse whether or not they were so anti-sports or if they somehow knew how much I hated it. Because of course he would never say that he hated it. I barely played. That was the other thing. That's probably why my parents didn't go because who wants to watch a kid just stand on the sideline for the whole time? Truly, I played for five years on that team. I think my parents went to a total of three games. And that sounds high now that I'm saying it out loud. It was no secret that I was not great at lacrosse. So they, you know, we would do bets about if I could score a goal from certain ways away. And I just sort of like got addicted to the, the thrill of, oh, I can make some money off of this. And sometimes I did. Money is a very strong motivator, I got to say. And I remember I, I went to a lacrosse camp once and the prize was you got a lacrosse jersey if you won. And you had to like in the goal, they had helmets on each of the corners. And if you hit all four helmets, you got the jersey. And I won. And I have that jersey in my closet to this day. It is one of my most prized possessions. Jasper's in his 30s now. But he says that there's another position that he earned playing lacrosse that was even more coveted than winning that jersey. There was a rule that in your senior year of high school, technically you are not allowed to be on the junior varsity team. You default become a varsity player. My claim to fame, and I hope that I still have this distinction, I was the only high school senior in Newark Academy lacrosse history to have played junior varsity at that age. I'll, I'll pause and let that sink in to you. It's a, it's a distinction and an honor. Jasper, that's weighing really heavy on me, actually, because <laughs> from eighth grade to senior year, that is a lot of lacrosse for a guy who has no interest in lacrosse. Yep, absolutely. And, and here is maybe where the delusion really comes in. He hated it, but he wasn't just lying about that to his parents and his teammates. He was lying to himself. He says every day he would dread going to practice, but he would never let himself think about why he might be feeling that way. Because how could he hate it if he had already decided that this is who he was? Have you ever talked to other people who are don't have siblings about this quality? You know, I don't know what it is. I have met so few people in my life who are only children. None of my friends were only children. Even now, I don't think I know. I know very few people. Are you an only child? I have a brother. It's funny to me, though, to hear you say that because I feel like, I mean, we all are just meeting the general population all the time. Like, we all know plenty of only children. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that seems like part of your delusion to me because I would think maybe you just don't gravitate towards only children because you're gravitating towards siblings and family and friends. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I would spend a lot of time at my friend's house who was on the lacrosse team with me. He had like six kids and I loved just going over there and just like having all these people around me. You know, they would fight all the time and I would just love it. I would just say, oh, this is what family is. Family is a million people together yelling and screaming at each other, but then also laughing and joking around and having this sort of like, I guess almost a built-in friend, you know, sort of a, a forever friend that you can't get rid of because they're related to you. So Jasper, how does this uh, patterns of yours 
manifest themselves in your adult life? Well, so the the real thing is that I I have pretended to like sports my whole life and I know so little about it that it is embarrassing. And I would always try to fake my way through it. And you get really good at lying to yourself and other people to the point where you kind of think it's part of your identity. I will say I've never watched a sports game by myself. I've never felt the urge to go to a sports game by myself. I am much more interested in the snacks and the people watching. He still goes to games with friends sometimes, and he's found a little trick to keep himself engaged. I don't know anything about parlays or or odds or anything like that. Usually I'll just bet on whatever team the other person doesn't want to bet on just to make it interesting. Just to make it bearable. Maybe I'm projecting, but he's watching a lot of these games and literally does not know the rules. So you're still putting yourself in the proximity of sports. Yep. And maybe the gambling is just like giving you that much pleasure out of it. It's gamifying the game. Because if there was no $5 on the game, would there be zero pleasure out of it? Mostly, yeah. Uh, except for the food and, and, and drinks. But yes, I'm on a fantasy football league and I've been every <laughs> every year for the past five years. I rarely watch the games, again, only with other people. The only thing I do is set my lineup. I don't trade or anything like that. I don't know what any of the players do. He doesn't know what any of the players do. This year I auto-drafted, which basically is, you know, you let the computer pick all of your players. And I got second place. And I barely touched it. Every other year, I was in last place. I truly don't care about the game of football, but I love the silly trash talking with friends. I love the idea of winning $20 at the end of the season, but never happened. Don't think it ever will. I mean, Jasper, it's kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I mean, you're an adult man now. How oh, old are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm 33 years old. You're 33 years old. Yeah. I bought a couch this year. <laughs> That's real. That is adulthood. I mean, do you recognize that you're still sort of playing the same FOMO game as you were in middle school? Absolutely. The difference between me now and me then is that, A, I've embraced my sort of, for lack of a better word, quirkier side. By the way, I don't mean to out Jasper, but quirky oozes from his pores. (laughs) His name is Jasper. You heard his story. There was no way he was ever going to shake quirky. And just because I love looking up definitions so much, and specificity is paramount, quirky, defined as being characterized by peculiar or unexpected traits, which describes Jasper perfectly. Unexpected. I've embraced my love of movies and music, and that's sort of where my passion lies. And he has also learned to indulge in having experiences by himself. For instance, by taking himself out to a fancy tasting dinner for delicious monkfish popcorn on a Wednesday night. And he's still collecting friends, which turns out to be a refreshing quality from anyone, let alone someone in his 30s. Too many of us get too set in our ways and decide at a certain point that we have gathered all of the people that we intend to know. He chooses to live by himself now, too. His studio sanctuary in Brooklyn, where he has set a goal to watch 300 new movies this year. Not brand new movies. New to him. And when we brainstorm ideas at the ad agency where we work, it is very clear that there is an untapped artist inside of him, 
that could be easily summoned simply by calling its name. But the point is, he's the balance of the two Jaspers. He has somehow made an inauthentic choice authentic by returning to it with relentless repetition. His mom was right. He's not a sports kid. He's a sports-willing kid, which might be the most unexpected thing that I've learned about him. His willingness to step out of his comfort zone and engage with sports leaves him open to having new experiences and meeting people that he wouldn't otherwise get to spend time with. Who says that any one of us has to choose between being the sports kid or the quirky artist guy? We're all just foolish earth monsters, living with one foot in a fantasy and defining ourselves moment by moment. In a social situation, in a pinch, if all my friends are like, we're going to a basketball game, sign me up. Yeah, you know, I wanted to say you went to a football game recently. (laughs) We are like peak pandemic right now. I can't (laughs) believe they're having football games right now. Real sports fans who care about the games and desperately want to be there are keeping themselves at home and unhappy. Children are sad that they don't get to go see the Giants play. And I went because it was A, free. B, unlimited food and drink. And C, it was in a little private section. So I got to feel important. And D, and I feel like this might be the real reason, I think you were going with a new coworker that you probably have not hung out with outside of work before. And this was an opportunity for you to make a friend. It's funny you mentioned that. You're absolutely right. He lives in the city. He said, hey, do you want to go to this football game? I said, yeah, sure. He goes, great. I don't know anything about football. I said, I don't know anything about football. And we went and we barely watched the game. We just talked and ate food and we bet $20 on the game. We lost it promptly (laughs) and we had a blast not knowing what football, what was going on in the game, but just sort of enjoying each other's company, enjoying this experience that we never would have gotten any other time. Am I proud that I went to a football game during a pandemic? No, I am not. But do I regret making that decision? Sure don't. No, this feels like a real happy ending to me. Yeah, I found my my kindred spirit. I want to thank Jasper for his story today and for the good reminder of all of the life that there is to live out there, if only we could dare to step out of our comfort zones. Thank you for being here with me today, Earth Monster. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, you can write us a review on Apple iTunes, that's the Purple Podcast app, or send us 143 on Venmo at Your Necessary Delusion. I'm always looking for new stories, so if you have a necessary delusion of your own and you want to share it, you can set up a time to record with me over video chat by emailing us at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com or leave us a message at our voicemail, 323-540-4540. We will be back next week with more epic everyday stories of success and redemption. Until next time.